Our children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. And for those of you who remain, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll be looking at a chunk of this passage as Paul addresses issues of sex and sexuality, singleness and marriage, and relationships in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll start in verse 9. This is God's Word. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, But I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know That your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise to the wife her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. 
Heavenly Father, give us your wisdom on this most relevant and important and powerful topic. That we might learn what it means that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. That we are not our own. That we are called to glorify you in all things, even in our bodies. Help us to this end for the glory of Christ, for we ask it in his name. Amen. So, we're here. Let's talk about sex. All right? Everybody seems to like to talk about sex. It's everywhere you look. You can't stand in the grocery checkout line without the six you know, new things that will revolutionize your sex life plastered all over all over the headlines. Or, or you can't watch a Hardee's commercial or, a, or a, a commercial of any sort without finding some sort of sexual angle on it. Social media is just full of it, even if it's not posted by your friends. I keep getting the ads. I still remember that, that time, that phase of life when I, I realized that all the songs that I loved from the radio were really about something completely different from what I thought they were in my younger years. It's everywhere. People are talking about sex all around us. Everywhere, maybe, except for the church. Uh, we, we don't like to talk about it very much. I mean, we don't, now, don't get me wrong, we don't mind complaining we don't mind condemning. We don't mind pointing out perversions and, and have, uh, uh, you know, make our stand against the things that we think we should be against. But, but we have a hard time learning what it means to establish ongoing, constructive, shame-free discussions about sex and sexuality and what it means for the Christian. And if we have a hard time talking about it in any sort of ongoing, consistent manner, is it any wonder that our kids continually turn to the world for wisdom, guidance, and information about sex? It shouldn't be that way. And so today, today is not an in-depth description of it. I leave that, parents, to you. But we're going to take a, a general overview about sex and its role in our relationships and our lives together in the family of God. We're going to ask the question, what can we say that God says about sex? And we can't say everything. We'd be here a little bit longer than, than maybe you want to be. But we'll say three things this morning. We'll say the scripture teaches that God says that sex is good. Scripture teaches that God says that sex is more than just about sex. We'll say that scripture teaches that God says that sex points us to something greater. So let's look at those three things this morning. First thing I want us to consider is this reality, this scriptural truth that sex is Good, gloriously good even. And sometimes I think we forget that. 
We think that the world is obsessed with how great sex is because they're talking about it all the time, encouraging a, a hookup culture or, or inviting you to explore your orientation or even modify your own bodies so that you can, can enjoy a, a different sort of sexuality than what you had before. And yet I, I would make the case, and I heard a, a scholar talking about it in this way, and it's persuasive to me that, that the world gets sex wrong. They have a a Gnostic view of it. They don't understand it as truly, gloriously good the way we ought. Because they've they've adapted the, the old Gnostic heresy, the heresy that says matter is evil. And what is good is this pure knowledge that you can have. And they've said the same thing about sex, that that your body doesn't matter. Your relationships and connections with people don't matter. What matters is what you believe about yourself, what's in your heart, what you think about sex and your sexuality. And in so doing, they have robbed sex of its goodness. Because God, when he created it, he created it very good but he gave it to us as this glorious gift in a very specific context, to the context of marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Our world rails against that. They want sex to be unbounded with no limits, but in removing the limits... They've lost sight of the embodied goodness of it. WD-40 is an amazing thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, the door in your house that always squeaks. Just, just, just one little squirt of this magic chemical, and it's gone practically forever. It can clean things. I hear it told that you can even use it to attract certain fish to your bait. I'm not recommending that, but I've heard it done. But if you decide to use WD-40 as the mixer for cocktails, it'll kill you. It's something good and wonderful and glorious that should be praised. But outside of the right context, it's destructive and dangerous. And sex is like that. You know, we're not the only culture crazed in an unhealthy way about sex. The Corinthian culture was that way too. And it left the Christians in Corinth very confused. They came out of a culture where homosexuality and temple prostitution and casual sex was regarded as normal and encouraged. And so when they are converted to Christ, they start trying to figure out, well, what what do we do then with sex? Well, one group was saying, it's good not to have sex at all. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Notice in your Bibles, the quotations around that. Paul's quoting what they're saying. He's not, that's not good advice. Then there was another faction that was like, all things are lawful. Now that I'm saved in Christ, I can do whatever I want. And and it doesn't matter. And, And Paul comes to them with godly wisdom to show them that in these extremes, in in removing sex from the, the good and glorious context in which God gave it, they have lost sight of its goodness. We should enjoy the goodness 
of God's gift of sex. But we should do that wisely. We have to guard it and keep it in its proper place. When we fail to do that, we lose out on the goodness. We lose sight of the goodness. How do we do that? How do we begin to to lose sight of the, the goodness of God's gift of sex? To even doubt its goodness. Are you afraid to talk about it? And I'm not talking about in that casual, crass, locker room sort of way. But to talk about it with the reverence that it deserves. Married couples are notoriously bad about talking about sex with one another. Maybe it's true of you. And you just don't know. You don't talk. You don't communicate. This is good. This is bad. I like this. I don't like For my premarital counseling, I assign a book about sex to every couple. And there aren't a whole lot of great ones out there. From a, They all have their downsides. But the, the point isn't the, the good book. It's read it, one of you, and underline, highlight, mark it up, write questions. What is this about? Who, who would think that? Like, just mark it up. Make your comments in the book. And then give it to the other person. And let them mark it up. And make their own questions. And then in those down moments, in those times after you're married, like go back and work through it and talk about it. Why did you put this? Why did you write that? Why, why, why was this intriguing to you? Why was this interesting? Just to teach a couple that it's okay, good even, to talk about it. Do you? Parents, do you create around sex a culture of fear and hiding? Don't let me catch you. Rather than sitting down with your children and saying, you know what, this is, I see that there's something good in your desire here, but let me point you to what God has called you to, to where what God has made this good gift to be. Those of you who aren't married, do you find shame from the reality that you are a sexual being? You shouldn't. God made you that way. But we can send those desires and those urges in directions and follow them down paths that would destroy us. Paul here says it's better to marry than to be aflame with passion. Like, where where are you channeling those, those feelings, those longings, those desires in a way that honors the Lord or in a way that just brings more shame upon you? Even as we think about us as a church, like, The world around us is so sexually confused and broken, and we can help. Paul comes back again and again to all this bad advice that they've picked up. The food for the body and the body for food. All things are lawful for me. It's good that you should avoid sex. Paul says, no, listen, it is written. For this reason, a man 
shall leave his family, be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Don't you know what God has said about his good and glorious gift? We have something to say that can bring hope and help and healing. Sex, it's good. But it is more than just about mere sex. See, in the Greco-Roman culture, they thought very much like we do today, uh, they thought of sex in terms of an appetite, the food for the body and the body for food. Sex is just a desire. You fulfill it the way you, when you get hungry, you go get a cheeseburger. And this isn't a new way of thinking about sex. Even the Proverbs, when it speaks of the adulterous woman after devouring her prey, she wipes her mouth. It's as if she just had lunch and nothing more. But, but Paul goes to great lengths here to say the body, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. It is meant for the Lord. And he pulls on this scriptural teaching uh, about sex that it, it, it makes the two one flesh to point out that it's more than just the physicality of it. This one fleshness that the scriptures talk about has a physical component for sure, but emotional, social, and spiritual aspects as well. The two are united together as one in Christ. That's why it's not appropriate to unite yourself to a prostitute. Because you are united to Christ. And if you are married, you are united to your spouse in Christ. There's more to sex than the mere physicality of it. It has a power, a, connect, a power to connect and unify when used appropriately. That is given from God. And we should enjoy that power of sex. We should enjoy it wisely, as God intended. I did college ministry for 10 years, and it amazed me in the freshman 101 classes how much the students were just encouraged to just go experiment, live life, figure things out. Never actually encouraging them to do anything specific, but just opening the floodgates without ever saying, are you aware that, that sex, there, it, there's a biological component. Chemicals, hormones are released that, that generate trust and attachment between people. And when you just start taking that everywhere, it tears apart your soul, even your ability to trust and to connect to people because you've taken a good gift of God that has the power to unite and you've used it for something else. You didn't find that in the freshman 101 classes. Sex is powerful, but we should channel that power wisely. How can we do that? For those of you who are married, Paul talks here about like, you, you belong to someone else. You're not your own. You belong to the Lord, and he has given you to your spouse. And your body's not yours to say what to do with. It, it's your spouse's. 
And you shouldn't deprive one another of this good gift. But you should use that good gift wisely. Can you give yourself to the other? Not seeing sex as just something that you need to get satisfied for you, but something that God has given that enables and equips you to serve and give to another. To build up and encourage and connect yourself to them. And because we are so prone to sexual immorality... Paul exalts marriage as a good thing, even while saying, but I wish everybody was single like, like I am. Well, okay, Paul, not everybody's you, but maybe, maybe you are. But even for the married couples, he's like, you know, there are times when it's appropriate. It's not just an appetite. There's power here. Abstain and devote yourselves to prayer, remembering that you are united first to the Lord then come back together because he's given you to one another. Parents, when you think about using the power of sex for good, don't think about it just in terms of having the talk, which for whatever reason frightens everybody. We have resources. TJ and I can send them to you if you'd like. But the talk is limited in power compared to the manifest witness of how you live. Do you live showing affection, physical, social, emotional, spiritual affection and connection to your spouse that your children see? They learn, they see, they know, and they inevitably start to think about sex, whether in a healthy way or in a broken way, based on what they've seen in you. Are you willing to talk with them about it? You don't have to go into all the details all the time. Nope, they can't remember that the, the, the talk the first time anyway. It's, you've got to go back and revisit these themes again and again and again with joy and with understanding that this is a gift of God, but it's a powerful gift. Do you, do you model for your children healthy sexuality with your spouse? That's not always possible. And for those of you who aren't married... Paul has advice for you too. He says, I wish that all of you were like I am, single. And and maybe you are content there. And you can receive Paul's counsel that you are more than just a sexual being. You are the Lord's beloved child. And there is a fulfillment for you that transcends this mere earthly, fleshly world. For us as a church, perhaps we would be wise to not emulate the Corinthian Christians in this respect. Avoid sex. Shame sex. Do whatever you want. But to go back and follow the Apostle Paul's example, it is written. What does God say? The one who made this, who gives this good gift, what does he say about it? That we might follow after him. And enjoy this good, powerful gift wisely. How can we bear witness to the world?
to that. Sex is good. It's so much more than just about sex because ultimately sex points us to something greater. In a broken world where sexual immorality runs rampant, sex can and often does trap us. It traps us in addictions to pornography, to gratification. It traps us in cycles of abuse as the abuser or the victim, or sometimes both. It traps us with dysfunctional attachments to people and and unhealthy fascinations. Sex is so powerful that in a broken world, it really can trap us. And in that, it's not unlike being electrocuted. Where at certain levels, if you have taken hold of a live wire, your muscles constrict and you can't let go of the very thing that is going to kill you. Paul says there is something, there is someone more powerful than sex. More powerful than the brokenness and wickedness and sin in this world. There is one who is able to wash you, to sanctify you, to change you, to make you his very own. And to set you free. To glorify him. With everything you have. And everything you are. In your thoughts. In your words. In your bodies. Because what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Is he has not remained enthroned on high in heaven. And looked down at the broken of this brokenness of this world, and spoken condemnation upon it, and then done nothing. But he has come himself, and he has taken on a body. And he has walked among us, and he has borne our weaknesses and our failures. And when he was crucified, he bore in his body the sins of his people, so that they would not have to bear those any longer. That they could be freed from that guilt. That they could be washed of that shame. And he rose again from the dead that we might know it is possible in Christ for us to have newness of life. No matter where we've been. No matter what we've done. No matter what has been done to us. Today can be the day of salvation. Where you turn from the old broken ways. And you turn back to the Lord who invites you to himself, to belong to him, who gives you his own spirit to dwell in you, that you might be marked out as his son or daughter. How has God set you free to glorify God in your sexuality?
Your past need not destroy your present. So often, even in marriages, the dysfunction from our past, even from our own marriage relationships, it just festers and grows until it destroys everything. And it can feel as if you are powerless to stand against it, but that need not determine that shame, that guilt, that dysfunction from the past need not determine your present or your future. If you are in Christ, you are His. You are washed. What would it look like for you to step into that redemption with your spouse, with the power of the Holy Spirit together? God has freed us because he's shown us that his will for us, his desire for us, as we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, this is God's will for your life, not necessarily that you would have a great 401k or a nice car or that you would graduate with honors or that you would have your dream job. This is God's will for you, your sanctification, that you would be made holy in your sexuality, in your words, in your thoughts, in your deeds, in all that you have and all that you are. And he's at work forming you after Christ. And so parents, your job as given to you by God, who has entrusted you with these little ones, is to encourage that formation. And being formed in Christ, that spiritual formation includes being formed with a right and godly understanding of what sex is. It's a good gift, a powerful gift of God. It sets us free from thinking that sexual immorality is the unforgivable sin. Change is possible. Redemption and repentance are attainable, not because you are powerful, but because the God who redeems people is. And he sends his spirit to help his people daily to be made new. And that, that is the witness that we have as a church about what God is doing in a world that is so confused and broken about sex. We, in how we live out our sexuality, in chastity and purity and holiness, we bear witness to the world that there is someone greater than sex. There is, there is a, a, an announcement of good news that the God who made us, the God who made sex, the, he is greater than all our sins. He is greater than all our shame. He is greater than all our brokenness. And he invites us to be restored to him. What is it that we can say that God says about sex? It's a good gift of God. It's far more than mere physical appetite because it points us to a transcendent, redeeming God. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it here, all of this should point us to this reality that we are His. And because we are His, God sets us free 
to glorify Him with all that we are, all that we have, even with our bodies. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, no doubt each of us here has his or her own story. where we have experienced the the brokenness of this world. We have, in our sex and sexuality, known all too intimately the guilt and the pain and the weight that this broken sexuality can bring. And I cannot answer each and every one of those questions here in this moment, but you, O God, can. You can send your Spirit to bring comfort, hope, and peace to troubled souls, to troubled marriages, to troubled relationships. Do that, we beg of you. That as you bring real healing to your people, we might stand amazed and shout forth for all the world to hear as we bear witness that our God is faithful. He is gracious. He is mighty to save even us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.